Good, well, we're continuing then today in uh, our series of uh, looking together at John's Gospel in the New Testament of the Bible, this book written about Jesus by someone who knew him really well. Uh, John, the disciple who wrote it, uh, was very close to Jesus. Actually, he was very likely uh, a relative, a cousin uh, of Jesus and, and, and quite close to him. So he knew him really well. Uh, and as Jesus began his ministry and John became one of those disciples, so he began to discover new things about Jesus. And he wrote this book uh, so that we could believe in Jesus. And uh, he says, and by believing, have life in his name. And we've been in this chapter, chapter 5, for a couple of weeks. It's quite a long section. Um, If you have been here for some of those, you may remember how it all begins. It's a kind of an incident that occurs. Remember how Jesus healed that lame man, someone who'd been unable to use his legs at all for nearly 40 years. I think it was 38 years. And Jesus comes along and heals him and this miracle takes place. And it it happens in Jerusalem, the uh, Jewish capital city. It happens at a festival time. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, like common people on the common. It was a religious festival. It was a festival where sacrifices were made. Quite which one uh, we're not uh, too sure of. But anyway, it was a, a big time of busyness in Jerusalem and uh, not surprisingly with a a sense of kind of religious alertness the uh, religious leaders are on high alert as it were and are outraged at what Jesus has done because Jesus encouraged this man to horror of horrors break one of the ten commandments because Jesus told this man to pick up his mat uh, his mat and walk and he did. And, and they said, what are you doing walking along with your mat? They didn't notice the fact that he hadn't used his legs for 38 years. It was more important that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And you know what happened there. A bit of a discussion ensues. Eventually they catch up with Jesus. They ask him questions. And John 5 is full of the explanations. And as we saw last week, Jesus tells them that he's just doing what God does. He says God works. He works all the time. And I'm, I'm doing what he's doing. And he tells them that God is his father. So, as Dan shared helpfully last week, why wouldn't he do what his father does? You know, like father, like son. You can pick up that on, online if you miss that message. And they're really mad at this. They're mad at this because they say, well, if he's um, saying God's his father, he's making himself like equal to God. And they start to persecute him. Actually, the seeds of what's going to happen at what we call Easter get planted around this time. It's early in Jesus' ministry, but, but they start to plot. They decide they're going to kill him eventually. He can't go on saying this kind of thing and making these kind of claims. Jesus isn't put off at all, but tells them as the conversation goes on, again, that he's doing what God does. He's giving life to people. And one day, he says, he's going to raise the dead for judgment. He says to them that he's been sent by the Father to give life to people now, at the time when they met him, so that they will not have to go through judgment in the future. And you read that. That was all about last week. Now, behind all of this is this huge phrase... Sorry, this huge claim, pardon me, I'm ahead of myself in my notes, summed up in a phrase that is repeated seven times in this chapter and uh, many, many times through John's Gospel. 
And the phrase is this, the Father sent me, says Jesus. At verse 23, well, it's all on the screen, 23, 24, 30, 36, 37, 38, 43, just in this chapter, time and time he goes, the Father has sent me. I'm doing this, it's pointing to the fact the Father has sent me. And it's interesting, it kind of just comes out of what Jesus is doing. It's not like he's kind of arrived on the scene, kind of arrived in town to start a new religion and kind of sets up shop and, you know, all of that kind of thing. He simply goes about doing things. And the things he simply does are things that God does, like giving healing to people and dealing with their sins and offering them life and all this kind of stuff. And this huge claim is kind of sitting behind the, 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 the things that he's doing. It's all profoundly disturbing for the Jewish religious leaders. So let's read what happens next in verse 30. This is the end of what Jesus is saying about how he's working and God is working. Verse 30, by myself, says Jesus, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but, and there's the phrase, him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor. I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John. That's John the Baptist. We read of him. We'll talk about that in a minute. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept any human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So what's Jesus principally talking about in this passage? Did you notice there's another word that comes up nine times? You notice what that word was? It was the word testimony. Testifying. And it's used just as we would use that word today. It's not a special, particularly special word for the time. It's the kind when somebody goes up in court, they what do they do? They give a witness statement, they give testimony. They tell people what they know to be true, what they believe to be true. They it's a bit like kind of an endorsement. And Jesus uh, tells them that he doesn't expect them to take his word for it, verse 31. 
he says, look, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to kind of big myself up. It's not for me to do that. And he says, you know, I, I don't believe that will be true. That doesn't mean that if he did it, it would be false in, in an absolute sense. He's saying, I accept where you're coming from, guys. I, I accept that it's hard for you. And so I'm not going to give you my own kind of evidence. I'm going to point you to the testimony of others. I like that. I think that's a, an interesting thing. You see, he accommodates his explanations to the difficulties that, that these religious leaders have. Isn't that really gracious of him? He wants them to see for themselves. And, and he knows perfectly well that they're not just going to take it on his say-so. And so he says, let me point you to some other evidence here. You know, we could learn a lot from that, couldn't we? In our witnessing, in our sharing Jesus with others. You know, to be able to explain or start within the limitations that they may have or the issues they may have. So he points them. And why does he do that? Well, because he says in verse 34, I want you to be saved. I want you to know my rescue. I want you to know my salvation. So I'm not going to make you believe it just because you say, I say so. Let me give you some other testimony. And what's the witnesses? So the witnesses come forward. Here's the first one then. It's John the Baptist. We met him in John's Gospel. Remember him? He was uh, one early in the early chapters of John. He was telling people that he wasn't the Messiah, but he was pointing to one who came. And if you look in the John 1, John 2, uh, the, the religious leaders send a delegation. They have a kind of inquiry. They ask John loads of questions and they examine him and, and uh, you know, examine what he thinks and what he's teaching. And he just pointed people to Jesus as the one who was to come. And when Jesus came, remember he said, look, here's the Lamb of God. He's the one. He's the one I was telling you about. He's the one I said is greater than me because he existed before I did. He, and that John, his whole thing about John was that he was pointing towards Jesus. And everybody went to hear him. You know, he was really popular. Uh, the Jewish leaders, they didn't get rid of John. John wasn't executed because of he, they didn't like his message or he fell out with the religious people. John was eventually executed because he fell out with Herod. His problem was political. So they all accepted what John was saying. They loved him. He was a bit challenging, a bit tough. He was a bit weird apart from anything else. But, but they kind of loved him. And Jesus is saying to them, you love John. He said, Jesus says to him, he was like a light shining and you love to be in the light of John. He said he burned brightly. It's almost like a flare, you know. He, he burned quick and fast and then it was gone. It was like firework display. You know, he was a rather fiery character, John the Baptist. You know, it was like Jesus saying, you loved him. You loved his light. He told you about me. He pointed toward me. Listen to what he says. That's his testimony. They enjoyed it. They rejoiced in it. He was a man of integrity who knew Jesus and pointed to him. But there's a second witness in verses 36 to 37. Jesus says, look, the the very things I do are testifying about me. The signs like turning water into wine. Think back, you know, through John's gospel. The healing of of the the royal official's son at a distance. We've read that in John's Gospel. This healing of the man by the pool. Jesus is saying, okay, if you you don't like what I'm saying, look at the things I'm doing. They're testifying about me. Remember what Nicodemus, the Jewish leader, said to him when he came at night time? He said, Jesus, he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God because... No one can do the things you are doing unless God is with him. John 3. 
And so Jesus is saying, look, you know this stuff. You've seen it. What's your problem? He's kind of pointing to the testimony. Jesus claims to be the son of God. That claim arises out of what he does. But then he says there's another testimony. The testimony of God himself. That's, I think, what he's referring to. To start with in verse 32, there's another who testifies in my favor. I know that his testimony about me is true. And if you read through those verses, you see that Jesus is saying that you see that God is at work in what Jesus has done. And God in, in, in the miracles and in the amazing things that were happening, happening was giving his own powerful testimony to what Jesus, who Jesus claimed to be and what he was doing. There may be a reference here to his baptism when there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my son. Um, different scholars disagree about that because um, uh, whether it was only John the Baptist who heard it or whether it was just Jesus that heard it, it's a, it's a bit unclear. But, but it could be a reference. But even if it isn't, God is spoken. Jesus is even, as well as that, of course, God, uh, Jesus says, God has spoken through the Old Testament scriptures that they had. These were Jewish people. They had the whole of, you know, from Genesis to Malachi. They had all of that stuff where God spoke. And God spoke about somebody who was going to come. So there was that kind of testimony of God through the works of Jesus himself, through scripture, even at his baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in a special way. And all that was around their experience as they stood there listening to him. He's talking about testimony, evidence given by reliable witnesses, including God himself. Well, you may be sitting there thinking, well, that's all very well, but that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is answering those religious guys then. What does that have to do with me or my friends? Well, if you think about it, there can be testimony about Jesus from people who've met him and point him out to others, can't there? And if, you, if you're like the Pharisee saying, I'm not sure about this claim Jesus is making about the one sent from God. Well, what about the testimony of people you know? Maybe you were at the baptism last week. Maybe you'll be there this, after, this afternoon. And you've met these people. And you've heard them. Or you've seen their lives pointing to Jesus. Like John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. So you can take notice of those people. If you're not yet a believer, or we as people who are believers, we can be like John the Baptist and, and point people to Jesus. And there can also be times when God works in our lives. God does things. That's one of the great things about try praying. And uh, there are loads of stories of ways in which God does little things, big things, surprising things, unexpected things. Uh, inexplicable things in the lives not just of full-on believers but all kinds of people and it might be worth stopping to think hey just a minute maybe that's happened to me maybe God has done something a time when he's answered a prayer or you've been aware of his presence like you know like a whisper of heaven kind of goes across and ooh, what's that about you know, that, you know those little things like that and many people still today do have access to God's word. We may not like, be, be like the Old Testament religious Jews. We don't know the Old Testament off by heart. 
if you're not being in a Christian background, you may know very little about what God says in, in his word. But, you know, there's, there are stuff out there. The Lord's Prayer. There's, there is wisdom from God. Things God has said kind of float around the, the kind of culture. It still can be heard. Maybe something you read once or a song you sang. Time for a story? We had, yeah, I'll tell you a story. A, child, years, a few years ago, we had a Chinese student who was kind of, connect, we kind of adopted this student as part of Friends International uh, scheme to adopt international students. Great thing to do. Can I encourage you to do that? And uh, this, this student came, came along and she was in our house and she uh, came from mainland China, so, you know, atheistic state, etc., etc. And she, um, she saw the piano and uh, she um, asked if I knew a song. And it was the song she asked about, I've completely forgot, uh, it was a hymn we sing. What was it, Mary? Okay, uh, it, it's the Welsh one, the Welsh song about the cross. No, 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 no. No, here is love beyond, the, here is love vast as an ocean. She said, you know this that song, Here is Love Fast as an Ocean? Well, she was saying it in a Chinese accent. I thought, what? And we didn't quite know. What, and, and then we said, sorry, what was that? He, I, I said, and, and I, I said, I, I said, what do you mean this? And I played the tune. The piano. Yes. She said, that's it. Do you know that? I, I said, yeah, but how do you know that? She said, my granny used to sing it to me. And my granny told me she was praying for me. And that girl actually became a believer. She was baptized at Netley Fellowship. So, you know, you, you just, you know, there's stuff out there. Stuff around. Anyway. Ever experienced that? Ever ask your friends if you're a believer if they've ever experienced anything like that? The works that God does. Him bearing witness in creation. In the way he responds to our cries for help. Well, it's a thought. Well, there's a big issue, really. The big issue behind all of this, this is what the testimonies are about, verse 36, is that the Father has sent me. And this is what the people around didn't like. It's what the, the religious leaders were really mad about. This idea that Jesus is going around saying, the Father God has sent me. And, you know, I think it's still what people struggle with. We struggle with that. And let me suggest a reason why that is. It really ticks us off. We really don't like, like that idea. Because if Jesus has been sent by the Father, really, then that means that we human beings need God to do something for us. We need God to send someone. If Jesus is really the one that God has sent, think back. Then we're thinking, we, 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 need, we need help here. We're not the masters of our own fate, after all. We're in a bit of a mess, and we need God to help us. And there's just something about us that doesn't like to admit that fact. We hate that idea because it means that we're unable to be masters of our own spiritual lives. That's the kind of atheist's big beef. That's what really gets Richard Dawkins and others worked up so mad. 
Because they don't like the kind of weakness. That's what they poke fun, fun at Christians about. You don't need this. You don't need this God. You know, only weak people need Jesus, uh, God, to have sent someone. It's at the heart of what our problem is. But the, the, the real difficulty is that as human beings, we do need someone. And we know we need someone. And so we worship. We go for all kinds of substitute gods, like, like the universe itself. Like atheism, which becomes a kind of religion. Certainly people are almost willing to kill for it or die for it, so it would seem. Not that that's a definition of religion, but sadly sometimes it is. Or we worship power or celebrity, stuff we do, stuff we make, things we buy. In fact, we'll do anything except humbly admit that we're made for God and that we really need him. That's the reason it was such a problem for the Jewish authorities. If Jesus had been sent from God, they needed something. And I think we stumble over the same thing. And into all of this comes Jesus saying that God has sent his son. Not to condemn the world, but to save us. And we really hate that. And Jesus tackles this issue with the Jewish leaders and he tackles it with the rest of us. And because he shows us, I think, in this explanation, why it is we struggle to accept that God has sent Jesus. Why it is that we struggle to accept that we need God after all. And what the path may be through it. He analyzes what it is that keeps us from God. And if you're thinking today, oh, that's great, I'll, t- I'll switch off now because I'm okay, I've, sort- I've got it all sorted out. Watch out, don't. Because, you see, we too can struggle to live this out. To, to, we say we believe that God intervenes, that Jesus has been sent from God, that we, 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 we accept God's rescue, but hey, do we put that into practice in our lives? It's still a struggle to let go of that sense of, I want to be the master of my fate, it's my life, it's my world, it's my religion. God still intervenes. He sent Jesus He does things, but we don't always see that, do we? We often don't see it, in fact, but we have to believe it by faith, not by sight. We don't see it, but in faith we trust God. And the same old trip hazards that uh, tripped up these religious leaders can leave us on the floor as well. Let's have a look at what what they are. So, what stops us from believing and finding life. Here's the first one in verse 38. Not letting the word in to our lives. The word doesn't dwell. Jesus says to them, see that in verse 38? You have never heard his voice nor seen his word, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You see, although the Jews had the Old Testament, they saw it their way. They filtered it through their own ideas, their own expectations of the kind of God that they wanted. It was kind of how they wanted it to be. And so they they kind of decided what it would say and kind of, in a sense, miss the main point. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And we can treat what God has to say like that too. You know, when I uh, approach what God says, I come really hoping, really, really hoping, looking for the kind of confirmation that he's going to say what I want him to say. You know, lots of us are in the habit are happy to take the bits of Jesus' teaching that we like, but hold back on the stuff we find a bit difficult or awkward. 
That's one of the big things you, you kind of go through on the way to faith in Jesus. And hey, that issue doesn't go away once you become a believer. And that can hold us back from believing. But as Christians, we can do that, can't we? We can treat God's word like it's just for our convenience. We filter out the hard bits. Or we just live like it doesn't really matter. God doesn't really intervene. He sent Jesus. Well, I believe that, I suppose. But, you know, whether God will do anything now in my life. So it doesn't matter if I sin. It doesn't matter if I compromise. It doesn't matter if I neglect the poor. It doesn't matter whether I, you know, what I do, really. That can be the place we get ourselves into. You know, we think, well, I've ticked the right boxes. I've been for prayer. I've been zapped at a big meeting or whatever it is. Whether we looking for Jesus or trying to live for him as believers, we have to let the word kind of into our lives. We have to let it dwell there. We have to say, okay, God, it's going to be a bit tough, but I'm, I'm willing to open myself up to whatever you say through Jesus. And I'm not going to say, okay, you know, that's off limits. Second thing that keeps us from believing and finding the life. It's what I've called DIY spirituality in verses 39 to 40. Do it yourself spirituality. Jesus tells these people that they refuse to come to him for life. Why do they refuse his life? Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's a fascinating thing. Do you notice why they do? Why do they refuse life? Because they think that if they do lots of Bible study, that will do it for them. That's what it says. Jesus says to them, you think that if you do Bible study, if you go through the Old Testament scriptures, then that's, all, that's it. That'll be, that's, that's your religion. So they're really, really religious and they work really, really hard and they study the Bible and study the Bible. But they're doing that instead of coming to Jesus to get the life he offers. That's what Jesus says to them. You're studying the Bible, but you're missing me. And what's behind that? Well, we want to work our own way, don't we? We want to do it ourselves. And we can do all kinds of religions. It needn't be the Old Testament scriptures like Jews. It might be trying to live a very you know, good life. Or it might be following some other religion. Or it might be having some, uh, some particular personal code that you follow. But you think, well, if I do this, if I do that, then that'll, I'll find the life there. But it's my way of doing it. I'll do it my way. I did it my way. One of the most popular tunes to be, to apparently to be used at crematoria as the coffin goes through. A bit sad, really. Oh, I did it my way. Yeah, I did it my way. My religious way. And Jesus says, no, don't go that way. Come to me, says Jesus, and find life. And this kind of wanting to do it ourselves has kept many religious people from Jesus. But it can creep into our hearts as believers as well. We need to live in God's grace. If we go any other way, we'll be robbed in our hearts of the joy that comes with coming to Jesus for life. We come to Jesus for life. He gives it. You know, we, we, we don't have to do anything to try and get it for ourselves. We just simply receive what he offers nothing to prove just gladly living thankfully for the gifts he continues to give us so DIY spirituality can keep us from finding life finally displaced worship can keep us 
from believing. That's in verses 41 to 47. Jesus makes some interesting comments about glory from people who want to get glory from one another but don't want to give glory to God or don't want to kind of receive anything from him. He says if people come in their own name, that's fine. But if I come in the Father's name or in my name, then you won't have it. He says that what's missing is love for God in their hearts. They're not interested, he says, in the glory that comes from God. It's all the language of worship. And Jesus is telling them that their worship is misplaced. Ironically, and this is a deep irony, could be a joke if I knew how to tell it, but, but he says, what you've, your hope is set, what on? Moses. Because they love Bible study and they love doing Bible study on the first five books of the Bible, Moses. And they thought that if they did lots of Bible study on Moses, you know, Moses are the one. Our hope was set, their hope was set on Moses. But it was Moses who said, God said, you won't have any gods before me. And here they are putting Moses kind of where God should be. They had displaced worship. And Jesus says to them, look, I don't, I'm not going to accuse you on the day of judgment. Moses will. It's, it's the commandment he gave that you're breaking. Because you've not got God at the heart of your life. See, sin, the Bible talks about sin. In someone has said, it, it's, it's simply, in one sense, worship in the wrong direction. It's not listening to God's way like they did in the Garden of Eden. They didn't do that. They decided to go in their own way. To find the life that they wanted, to find the meaning, the kind of uh, the, the the fulfilment, the kind of spiritual meaning they, they thought they would find in another direction, they went the other way. They didn't go God's way. And when we sin, we worship. What becomes the main thing is my wants, my plans, my pleasures, my friends, someone else in my life, or if only there was that person in my life, the hope that there might be. My stuff, etc. Other things place God take God's place in our life and it causes massive, massive damage, doesn't it? And repentance is us getting our minds and hearts straight on that, coming back to God and saying, God, you can have my worship. You're the one to be at the center. You're the only one I want to worship and give glory to. And we need as believers to keep coming back to that place because our hearts can so easily stray, can't they? It was uh, to Christian believers that the, the Apostle John actually, who wrote this book, in another book said, dearly beloved or beloved, he often called other Christians beloved, keep yourself from idols. Don't let other stuff get into the place where God just loves to be and to bless you. So they're tough words from Jesus. Let's hear the testimonies. They're a long time off, but there's this, this kind of distant drumbeat that points to Jesus as the one who was sent by the Father. Let's live as believers, believing in Jesus who was sent because we needed someone to come. We still do. We still need God to intervene. Let's welcome his word into our hearts, into our lives. Let's stay away. Avoid DIY spirituality like the plague. And if you think that Bible study is going to you know, get you there, well, you better start you know, taking a different approach to Bible study or whatever it is that comes in the way. No working my way. Let's ensure that our hearts are worshipping the one who calls glory from us and gives his presence to us.
And if you're like these people, if you've been refusing to come to Jesus to have life, well, stop refusing. Repent. Turn to him. Trust him. Come and receive the life that he offers. Come to him and drink. You see, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we're going to celebrate that in a moment or two. Thank you, guys.